Hi, this is the Organizational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organizational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organizational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. recently yeah. about paradoxical leader or leadership behavior so it's um a really interesting new concept about um looking at the way in which leaders need to engage in managing dialectical tension or conflicting demands so the individual needs of you know the individuals within the organization combined with managing the organizational needs and demands okay. um, and how you manage that that kind of sometimes contradictory tension that arises um, through both what they call both and behaviors. So, so for example, so they have, and in the paper it outlines, I think it's five different key dimensions of both and behaviors that this particular theory of leadership proposes. So one of them, for example, would be um, building close relationships with okay. individuals that you lead yep. and being able to step back and maintain a distance perspective. Uh, right, yes. um, one of this is about creating autonomy and freedom and another is about being able to create clear boundaries and um, kind of tight rules and uh, frameworks within which kind of freedom happens. Yes. So, and... You can be free, but yes. within these bounds. Yes, yeah. Yes. yeah. Which reminded me of um, when I was reading it, the organization over in the States, you know, the, um, that fabulous book, Joy Inc., about Menlo Innovations. Oh, yes. Um, 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 I've forgotten. Yeah, I've forgotten me too. Well, anyway. And they talk about um, innovation and they even use the word tyranny, which I find really interesting. It's mm. this idea that actually there are a handful, two or three rules that we are kind of tyrannical, if you like, about. Yeah. But there are kind of real things that absolutely everybody that comes here to work for follows and then within that there's an enormous space for freedom creativity so how do you manage both of these and the interesting bit about this model so this paper comes from some work that was done in China and it's one of the things that they advocate is how western theories of leadership perhaps propose particular ways of working but when you combine that with Chinese principles dialectical principles about yin and yang the looking at how there's a synergy between those um, and if you integrate some of these apparently conflicting behaviours um, yeah. and the bit that was particularly interesting as well in this paper so aside from the bit that hooked me straight in I think about just the idea of uh, thinking about paradox from a leadership framework was they were looking at its impact on creativity and did paradoxical leader behaviour influence the employee context. So did it, was it possible to use paradoxical leader behaviors and create a context where employees thrive at work? So there's lots of learning, there's energy, um, people's strengths are aligned, those sorts of things um, with psychologically safe environments and have enhanced or increased creative output. And what effects did paradoxical leadership behavior have in that? Right. In that mix, if you like. So. so can I just check what you're talking about here mm. in terms of paradoxical leadership? Yeah. Does that mean allowing the paradoxes to exist, yeah. noticing them? Mm. So noticing them and then integrating them. So what it talks about okay. is not 
so that it's not about needing to res- the so this tension perhaps some people have where they rec- so the, I guess the whole first thing is about no- recognizing them in the first place yeah but that once you recognize them it's not then rushing to resolve them mm-hmm. and what might be a more typical pattern is people rush to resolve them by they do one you know, that classic pendulum swing. Yes. So, you know, oh, I'll focus now on this. Yes. And then when I think that's too much, now I swing over here. So yes. they kind of... So they're, yeah, they're working on the poles. Yes, yes. Without any kind of strategy between No, them. exactly. Yes. And this was about saying, actually, if you acknowledge that the both things can coexist. Mm. So there is an aspect, I guess, of um more contingent way of seeing leadership. So, it, you know, the in this situation here and now what is the right thing to be doing to the right degree for you know these people so using what you and i might call kind of wise thinking Mm. or wise judgment with regards to that situation um, and seeing those things as compatible yeah um interesting there was a a study that we did a briefing on last year Mm. which was about paradox okay and about how we're not very good with paradoxes. Yeah. And, and and what's interesting about what you're saying is it's kind of suggesting that a more Eastern philosophical bent, I suppose, yeah. is probably more likely to, A, recognize the paradoxes and then, B, be able to do something. You talk about integration. We'll come back to that in a minute. Yes. And this study was quite interesting. It was mm. it was based in Finland, okay, and it was it was looking at um, how Finland dealt with the post two thousand and eight crash, mm. and what happened was that the government set up a series of paradoxical requirements on a whole series of services and things, and, mm. and one of those services was the police. Mm. So what what it did that the government said right okay. <laughs> Time of austerity, we need to kind of cut back on all sorts of things. We need to reduce costs. And one of the ways we want to do that with the police is start to standardize a lot of things that you're doing. So we want you all to buy the same uniform. Mm. We want to flatten the management a bit. Yeah. Um, there's 40-something forces across Finland. Yeah. We want there to be one force yeah. so that there's kind of um, economies of scale rather than having all these different um, management um, uh, hierarchies yeah. that we've got one and that, basically that's what they were saying mm. so they were saying we want you to standardise mm. one side of the paradox the other side of this paradox is they also recognised that policing in somewhere like Helsinki is very yeah. different to policing in the Arctic Circle in some village yeah. so they said at the same time we want you to standardise okay. and we want you to make sure that you're meeting local need yes and when you think about it you go well hang on a minute but what was interesting was nobody in that line, either through the government or the police, yeah. went, hold on a minute, this is a paradox. Okay. We can't do both okay. at the same time. Yes. And it's exactly what they yeah. found happened was that they, they swung. So swung. the organizations yeah. did yeah. what they were good at, which was, okay, we understand how to standardize everything. We understand how to... Um, flatten the structure. We understand all. So they spent the vast majority of the time standardizing. Okay. And then every now and again, there'd be this panic about, ah, but how do we do this yes. in this town yeah. or this context? Yeah. And then they'd try to unstandardize yeah. what they'd done previously. So they ended up with this real 
mismatch. That's confusion, isn't it? Yeah, so complete that, yeah, confusion. Yeah. And, and it didn't solve any of the problems yes. apart from that it cost, cut some costs out of it. Yeah. But actually, it ended up in a situation where the service was worse. Yeah. Because of that, I was so, say, it probably created new and different problems. Yeah. Rather than, yeah. So what I'm interested in then is what, what, what do they mean by integrate? So, so it's about. So they talk about in the paper that this they coin this term kind of paradoxical thinking, mm. and they describe that as the ability to be able to differentiate more finely and then integrate on the back of the differentiation. Right. So the whole recognition of the paradox would be a key part of that. Yes. And to therefore be able to use not just the not just the recognition of the paradox but the recognition of in this situation the local needs seem paramount and I can bear that in mind at the same so I can recognize uh-huh. the difference between those conflicting demands and I can integrate those on the back of what is the most important thing to be doing right here, right, right now. Right here, right now, mm-hmm. cool, yeah. bearing in mind our overall purpose as a police force, for yeah. example. So, so keeping so you're in still mind keeping the, the Yes, yeah. yes. And uh-huh. the sense of what the bigger purpose or direction is, that kind yes. of overall focus. Mm-hmm. But I can I've got a lot of flexibility and agility within within that. Right. And so was there something in the paper then about kind of Eastern philosophy, Eastern thinking? They didn't delve into it that much. It was enough that it made me think, oh, I want to go and delve into this more. And I've been meaning to kind of dig out some of the the first paper where this term is coined, where they propose this um, theory of paradoxical leadership. And I haven't dug that paper out as yet and had a a bit of a look at it. Yes. yeah, I got the same reaction after this, the, the, the Finnish police one. Yes. Was I, I started to wonder about the psychology of paradox. Yes. And, and how being in a paradox affected people. Yeah. It affected their emotionally and affected their thinking. Yeah. And, and it's probably something that it would be a good idea for us to do a special yeah. report on. Yeah, it would be. I think it's... I'm, I think it's critical, actually. Yeah. Well, and I'm seeing it crop up in lots of different areas of research and fields of practice. So it's cropping up more and more, I think, around um, leadership and leader behaviours, but also in terms of things like um, creativity and innovation, organisational culture, Mm. um, emotion regulation, um, dealing with uncertainty, um, some of the stuff about leadership 4.0 and what what Mm. kind of new um, demands maybe leadership and paradox seems... Maybe I'm seeing it everywhere because it fascinates me. So I'm seeing it everywhere, but it does appear to be. When I started, particularly started the research on the uncertainty stuff, kind of paradoxes kept on cropping up. And I never really quite kind of clobbered them. The the one thing that I, I did become aware of is that the people who were good with uncertainty tended to be good at managing paradoxes yes. and it seemed to be partly it seemed to be that ability to be able to keep in mind at all times a paradox and to, it, it was almost like a balance yeah to be able to say okay in this situation we're going to kind of deal this side of the paradox yeah. up in this side we're going to deal this way but in these contexts actually we may be able to find a balance here yeah. and and th- there was this kind of an idea this, this idea of mode four leaders that, that these people are really good with uncertainty they're very good at um kind of facilitating other people yeah and and 
dealing and, and finding what the reality of the situation is. They spend a lot of time doing yes. that kind of, yes. you know, what's really happening here, not what I think yeah. is happening. They're yes. trying to find evidence that doesn't support their thinking. Yes. That kind of, and that's paradoxical yes. in its way. Yeah. In its own way. Yeah. So there was that kind of sense that these people are, are managing paradoxes quite mindfully, I suppose. Yeah. And so what were the other findings of this paper? Well, so the interesting thing with the paper was, and, and one of the reasons that it perhaps, so another reason it particularly hooked me was, this was a different paper that I was yeah, reading, oh, right, but yeah. in this other paper, they were talking about, um, so they were looking at wisdom and leaders oh, that yeah. scored quite high on wisdom and wise reasoning. Um, and they were also looking at um, traits of um, psychopathy. And they were looking at and narcissism. So that. some of the dark, the dark yeah, triad, yes, yeah, the dark, triad. dark triad traits around um, leadership behaviour. Um, and one of the things that this paper found was that there were certain overlapping traits that. So I'll backtrack a bit. Yeah. So the other thing that they were also looking at was transformational leadership. So they were looking at wisdom okay. and leadership, transformational leadership. Um, and um, dark triad, right? And they were looking at where were their overlaps, um, and where might there be similarities between some of those different areas. And what they identified was that um, the whole dimension within wisdom, so wisdom and transformational leadership, seem to map across quite neatly in lots of different areas. Okay. Um, the bit that was really interesting was the dimension in wisdom around dealing with uncertainty and being able to embrace mm. paradox, recognize and embrace paradox. And the bit that was really interesting about that was, was that people that scored high on that in the wisdom scale yeah. um, did not score so high. And remember, it was in this particular study, it was employees who were rating transformational leadership. Okay. Kind of... Um, criteria for their leaders so they were not rated particularly high on transformational leadership by their employees but they were rated higher in the dark triad so there Mm. seemed to be something in the paper i'm not explaining it very well but there was something in the paper i'd need to dig the paper back out again to get the kind of specifics of it but this what there seemed to be a suggestion of was that the ability to embrace uncertainty and deal with recognize and deal with paradox mm. was associated with dark triad type characteristics. Wow. When you look at one of the some of the subscales of the dark triad, the dark triad and was considered to be a negative aspect yes. by the employees. So the reason that was so interesting to me when I came to this paper was because this paper was saying, so when a leader is able to embrace uncertainty and mm. deal with paradox, actually how, what is the effect of that on employees? Because the suggestion in this other paper was that there could be some issues around that in that yeah. employees want certainty, they want assurances, they want clarity yes. of way forward. You know, they, they want their leaders to strip out paradox and uncertainty Um, and where leaders were very good at recognizing that actually that Mm. was seen as unsettling that's my words not what the paper was suggesting but this paper what hooked me particularly about it was that where the leaders demonstrated high levels of paradoxical leader behavior they were also creating environments of um, high levels of thriving at work so employees in that context were 
learning, they were operating. The other thing they looked at was psychological safety. So yes. where there was psychological safety and the thriving at work and the paradoxical leadership behavior, there were positive outcomes around okay. creativity. So That's interesting. That's really interesting. I, and, and was there a suggestion there that I'm just trying to get my head around what yes, you're saying not, here? <laughs> No, 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 you're really, really, really yeah, no. kind of confusing. Because right? there's, there's, there, there are a lot of that they can kind of coexist. Primary. I think yes. is a bit. So you can have paradox. That's what this mm. paper suggests. You can have paradoxical leadership behaviour, right? And have thriving at work, yeah. And have psychological safety, yes. And when all th- all of those exist, yeah. Heightened levels of heightened level of creativity and innovation okay. in the teams. Yeah. yeah. So I get that, and I understand how that is. Can I, I'm interested in this this thing about just going back to paradoxical leadership. Does that mean, therefore, that in terms of paradoxical this idea of paradoxical leadership, that they're not managing the paradox in a way that smooths over it and and makes it disappear yeah, for their yeah. for their staff. Yes. Is that what it's saying? Well, so if we go mm. if um yeah. so there were five key things yeah. that were indicative of right. paradoxical leader behavior. Yeah. Um so one was about being very clear on at the same time what is important to you. So your beliefs, your values are kind of more self-centered, right. self-referenced view of things and being able to step into the shoes of others and take another's perspective. So being other focused and self-focused, but they talked about that in terms of simultaneous. So these, you know, this idea of both and behaviors, the second dimension was this one about distance and closeness so that you could be both close and that high quality, deeper connection with people and simultaneous. So there is something about this kind of integrating it, being able to do with These objectivity, behavior. the yes. step back, yes. as well as have some kind of relationship. As that's well as maintaining your intimate. humanity, if you like, yes. your kind of connection yes. to the individual. Um, treating others uniformly and allowing individualization, which is an interesting one because I think that's one that I hear a lot in organizations the leaders talking about is you know, how do you manage that yes. kind of um, that challenge. Yes, um, yes. That- Yes, that's kind of the difference. And that's a tricky one to see how you would be doing that simultaneously, in a sense. But you do need to. You do. You've got to be able to treat everybody equally while not treating everybody by also recognizing the differences between people. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. that's uh, the interesting paradoxes, these. And you can see how I think some of that bit about Mm. um, what's the scope of one. So, this. So you can imagine having kind of quite a broad scope. So, for example, yeah. we treat others uniformly based on a set of values, for example, or something that's quite kind of broad, a sort of a framework within which there is uniformity. A bit yeah. like Menlo Innovations yes. and the, you know, the, the innovation yes. through tyranny, if you like, that kind yes. of the, These are some core things that everybody does. Which you kind of have but then within the space with the, the sense middle. of an organisation anyway, because yes. you've got to have. Yeah, it's yes. kind of fundamental almost to how it works in one way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, actually that, yeah. Yeah. And then the fourth one was um, enforcing work requirements, but allowing flexibility. Yeah. So they didn't use the term job crafting, but mm. they were talking about things that I would label or see as drop crafting so negotiating and finding that overlap being very clear about what the job purpose was the kind of responsibilities and requirements of the job role yes 
and being really interested and curious in what that individual's strengths were and what they really wanted to get out of their work, their motives and drives, and then finding the overlap and the synergy between those. But being able to track that across whole teams. That's, I t- sorry, I'm going yeah, to interrupt you, because one of the things that that's bringing to mind is because the, the, there's a real paradox between clarity and fuzziness, the fuzziness yeah. of the world yeah, yeah. That, that I'm particularly interested in in terms of kind of uncertainty and and, and certainly in terms of leadership, the, that ability to create clarity but also work with the fuzziness in a way that's where well, it's, it's I don't use these words, it's, it's, it operates through the synergy of those things. So yes. it's, it's using yes. both yes. rather than just going, right, okay, everything's got yeah. to be clear and clear-cut and no uncertainty yeah. and we're trying to kill the uncertainty r- right through to everything's so laissez-faire and loose that yeah. nobody's got any structure. Yes. yes, And that ability to be able to use both yeah. differentially depending on the context and the situation. Oh, that's really yeah. interesting. And that was uh, exactly oh. what you're describing was something mm. they delved into because okay. they were suggesting that when that when there was too much looseness, if you like, when all parameters were taken away, all boundaries. <laughs> so truly that mm. the kind of chaos that can arise yes. when there are no <laughs> rules, if you like, by yes. which we operate or function. Yes. Um, versus ha- was the degree to which you rein those in, yet yeah. you allow because they were talking a lot, obviously, about creativity and innovation, about how the, mm. that was the space where creativity can arise. Yes. So you're leaning into the beginnings of chaos, that kind of that yeah. space where it's fuzzy, um, without letting mm. it spill over into something that means there's a there's a kind of chaos that is hard then to grab yes. kind of creative ideas from mm. that is. So there's no yeah, structure. Yeah, not useful so mess. Yes, it's, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see also why this idea of psychological safety now becomes important. Yes. Because the range that people have from I need lots and lots of clarity, I really yeah. don't like any uncertainty through I like lots and lots of uncertainty, I don't like much clarity because I feel it kind of, it, it stifles what I'm trying to do, it stifles the creativity. Yeah. And, that, and there's a kind of continuum right across there and managing that, continuum of people within an organization yeah is quite an interest well it's a, a, a massive challenge that quite a lot of again this is part of the paradox a lot of leaders just ignore yes yes it's not an issue yes. we just get on with it we we deal with the tasks yeah rather than that as a process yes and you feel and there's a degree of so you find the space within which you feel psychologically safe yes which for a lot of people is by doing the task and operating within, you know, my area where I have a sense Confine, of being in control yes. and uncertainty yes. and the um, creating, and I think it's a, one of the most important jobs for leaders at the moment, isn't it? But the increasing requirements and needs to be operating in different ways yes. is creating a wider frame for people to feel psychologically safe in, that yeah. they can feel psychologically safe and step into territory where it's uncertain and unknown and there are unpredictable outcomes and they're having to be a bit more experimental. And and, and, and this itself's an issue because mm, in any team you're going to have that, yes, that continuum, but you're one. also having to deal with it as a team. Yes. So yes. having to manage, be able to realise that that's going on yeah. and manage that paradox. 
Oh, this is fascinating. Yeah, oh, it is. Oh, oh. It is really interesting, yeah. isn't it? And they highlighted the other thing I really liked in this paper, um, which I've not come across before, looking at, you know, so I've looked at stuff about thriving at work, look at stuff at psychological safety, creativity, the way they put all of this together with, you know, how does paradoxical leadership kind of sit in the mix was that where you had high, they were suggesting that where you had high thriving at work, but without psychological safety, mm-hmm. that what could happen is you get a lot of ideas, creative ideas generated, but they don't necessarily go through to completion or get worked Turn up further. Yeah, that it was the psychological safety that was required for people to be able to experiment more and uh, fail, adjust, course correct, problem Ooh. solve. This is really challenging something for me. Go on. Well, well this, this whole idea, I've never thought of this mm. before. You've just really struck something inside yeah. me, actually. This idea of high thriving at work and low psychological safety. I yeah. kind of made this assumption that the, the, the two, two would be together. Have to coexist. You'd yeah. have to have high levels of yeah. psychological safety yeah. in order to thrive. Yeah. And this is suggesting that that's not the case. No, that's certainly what they were suggesting in the paper, that they're not. No. I. I would speculate that they are more likely to coexist. I think it would be... Well, that's true. Actually, anecdotally... you know... You know, I think back to my past, and and certainly with the emergency services, the military, you know, all of those, there are situations where you have very low levels of safety. Yes. Well, kind of. Is it psychological safety? Because you kind of train, but even then, you're often... Not often, but now and again, you're operating outside of those comfort areas. Yeah. And thriving? Is it thriving? So there, and remember, the, this paper's no. definition of thriving at work, mm. so the way in which they defined it, which is often the way it's um, measured in some of the kind of scales around thriving at work, yes. is around learning and energy. So high uh, energy and a high requirement for learning yeah. and learning in the moment, yeah. underpinned by you know, to sustain thriving at work over time, is about um, you know, basic needs being met, psychological needs being met. Yes. Um, uh, and okay. I would kind of argue that psychological safety is part of a part of you know is a human need mm. or requirement. Well, it's the whole Maslow but, thing, isn't it? Yes. Uh, but, but I, I'm fascinated by this yeah. idea that you can Could thrive not, with yeah. low levels of psychological. F- and actually, yeah. I th- I'll tell you what, as a, you know, as a result of this paper, I think we need to go off and do a bit more yeah. digging around. Yeah. Certainly, that question about can you can you have a situation where you're thriving at, with low levels of psychological safety? And I, I don't know, yeah. it seems to be. It's interesting to see what the research is. And you kind of think that maybe it's an individual level. It's when you start mm. to scale it, isn't it? It's interesting. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, they, yeah they were certainly suggesting that there may be lots of ideas that come up, wow. but it was the psychological safety that would lead to people mm. being able to be more um, agile and experimental and then deal with the problems that then yes. arose. Yes, interesting. And then there's this fifth... And then the fifth one, yeah. So there were five of these both and behaviours. And the fifth behaviour um, was about maintaining decision control and allowing autonomy. Uh, so okay. treading that line between yes. um, when you kind of Stepping. step in and you make a decision versus allowing people to make decisions. Now, that's one of the things from the uncertainty studies that mm. we know, that people who are 
that people who are uncomfortable with uncertainty tend to step in. So as the uncertainty oh, yeah. increases, they're much yeah. more likely to step in and heavier the more uncertainty yeah. there is, yeah. whereas people who are good with uncertainty do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So they allow much more autonomy yeah. the greater the level of uncertainty yeah. because it's that way that they start to find out what's really happening and they get those kind of diversity of views and, the, and people start to challenge them more. They allow more of those challenges, mm. whereas individuals who don't like the uncertainty don't like the challenges, particularly the greater the level of uncertainty, mm. which is which is kind of – and that, that fits beautifully with this idea about decision control yeah. and allowing autonomy, particularly in paradoxical situations. Yes. And I can well imagine lots of managers, in fact, organizations almost breed them to a certain extent, who don't like the uncertainty of a paradox, mm. actually trying to control things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And – Yes, really interesting. When you layer onto this as well, cultural difference, and you layer onto this different. Um, so um, I'm very interested in Michelle Gelfin's work on tight and loose cultures, and looking at you know, so China, for example, would be quite a tight culture, yes. um, and the UK would be somewhere in the middle, and uh, America and some of the South American countries would be much looser countries, yes. um, looser cultures. The Netherlands, yes. for example, would be a much looser kind yes. of culture. Um, and she talks about this in some of her work. She's um, from that perspective has then started to get interested in a topic that I know you're really fascinated in: the organisational ambidexterity, mm. and says about how organisations. Um, actually thrive best when they're able to flex between both of those being tight and versus being loose. Yes. Um, and that that can be when you recognize kind of cultural difference at a social level as well, social mm-hmm. cultural difference, and then look at organizational culture. Um, and she suggests that there are two, that this idea of a structured looseness or a flexible yes. tightness. Mm. So know which you are more, Yes. you are slightly more in, and then how do you either bring in a bit of flexibility mm. if actually you're more centred in being a tighter yes. organisation. And I think the decision decision control and autonomy one mm. is a really interesting place where that shows up. Yes. In fact, that's, that's, there's two things come to mind with there. That, that's a lot of the work that we do in organisations anyway around uncertainty is by helping them understand, I know this sounds really weird, mm. but helping them understand the structure of uncertainty. Yeah. Because once they understand the structure of uncertainty, it, it kind of enables people to operate in a less avoidant way. Yeah. So that they're, they're significantly less likely to, to stay away from the uncertainty yeah. and, and reach for control yeah. once they understand that uncertainty has a structure. I know it sounds a bit paradoxical. No, no it doesn't. And that, that sits very, very nicely. Okay. And then the other side, the other thing that that brought up for me is this, the whole thing about organizational ambidexterity, the, the realization I've just had, I've been working with this for years, like, is, is that actually organizational ambidexterity is actually managing a paradox. Yeah. And the paradox yeah. of how do we keep doing what we're good at whilst innovating and, and developing the future yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And do we do it at the same time or do we do it in swings where we do a bit of this and then a bit of that? Yeah. And the studies tend to show, and particularly these days, that it's best done separately. 
so that you've got a, a team doing the future pace stuff and then you've got the, the bulk of the organization serving the product uh, or service or whatever it happens to be and making it all happen. Yeah. And then that there's some kind of feed of communication between the two. Yeah. And you don't actually need, and this was a really interesting challenge of a study last year, you don't need ambidextrous individuals. You need ambidextrous managers and leaders okay. to manage the process. Okay. Yes. But you have creative individuals over there in that box yeah. or that department and keep them separate. And then you have the, the operational people over here yeah. doing the stuff around the product and the, the thing. And that, and that the findings so far, although some recent findings start to question that, seem to be the most effective way most of managing that paradox. Also, okay, okay. Yes. Yes. That's what it actually is, yes. paradox. I don't know why I haven't thought of that yeah. before. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, but the, um, there's a couple of things that interest me about that. So one is, so the, that tension exists, I think, in almost all organisations anyway, in that yes. there are certain, um, so for example, um, looking at legal functions within organisations, that there are certain kind of professional roles that within that profession have a tighter culture yes. versus a looser culture. Yes. Um, and one of the things that Michelle Gelfand advocates when she talks about it is that the organisations where they seem to have um, a recognition of the value of both. So a bit like you're describing, that when people can see the structure of uncertainty, when people yes. can see the structure of the cultural difference. Yes. and the structure of a paradox. They yes. can see the paradox. That actually allows people to be able to... So now not, there's not an, a, a kind of um, a covert tension. Yes. It's like you've brought it out into the open, and once it's out in the open, yes. it's... Uh, and I personally think that some of that is about the emotional stuff, that when things are sort of pre-conscious, you're kind of aware of the tension, but actually you've not brought it into mind, you've not going to be able to label it, talk about it, yes. see the structure of it. Mm. it. It sort of sits there at a psychological level as a bit of a kind of a threat, a discomfort. Um, and the, Yeah, the tension. The tension, yeah. Yes. But once yes. you can talk about it and there's a way yes. of labelling it and you can unpack the structure of it mm. it's sort of like oh actually that's okay it's a real thing it's okay we can you know we can have a conversation about it now and it sort of releases that yes but, and th there's a whole line of research around tension in creativity okay um but also tension in organizations okay and why that tension's important but there's a lot around psychological tension mm. Uh, particularly around motivation, mm. that it's those tensions that bring around motivation, but they also bring around learning. Yeah. So without there's there's a whole kind of set of theories around the idea that if there is no tension, there's no learning. Yep. Right. I, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but it's it's not far off. Yes. That you, we require those tensions in order to say, hang on, there's something new. Here. Yes. Yes. And it's those tensions. It's cognitive dissonance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. So there's. Yeah. So I guess there's the the degree to which it's attention, and that comes back. We're looping around, I believe, but yeah, yeah, maybe it comes right. back to the uncertainty bit. But how the degree to which you are able to sit with the discomfort that arises with tension versus yes. rushing to need to resolve it, yes. and that if you rush to resolve it, we may be more likely to resolve by not shifting in learning, if you see what I mean, kind of not Solving reorganizing or restructuring yes. our understanding in a richer yes. way yes. by kind of almost 
having a tighter defaulting back, if you like, into yeah. a, a safer Well, do you space. remember all that work years ago that, in fact, we had one of those amazing conversations, which was a process that we did. Oh, um, yeah. And we had, we, I did that thing on the problem space. Yes. And the idea that actually when we notice a problem it's never the oh, problem that we notice yes, yes. it's the symptoms yes. we notice yeah we never notice the problems because the problem always occurs it's silent and it's too far removed it takes a while for the problem to start to move into a, a space mm. where we notice it so you know for example if you get a stomach ache mm. we think the stomach ache's a problem mm. but the doctor knows immediately that that's a symptom but what we're trying to do is solve the symptom where the doctor goes, hang on a minute, I need to find out what the problem really is. I'm not ignoring the symptom, but I'm not solving the symptom. Whilst the patient wants me to solve the symptom, I need to find out what the problem is, solve that, and then that will deal with this. So we're dealing with a similar kind of thing here, is this difference. So trying to resolve a paradox too early, usually is actually dealing with the symptom. Yeah. You just want the symptoms to go away because of that discomfort. Yes. Whereas the, the the kind of master's ambiguity, as it were, the people who are really good with uncertainty recognize that all they're dealing with symptoms here, mm. that actually we need to do one of two things. We either need to try to find out what the problem is and deal with that, mm. or we need to see what the, the context and the situation is here and what opportunities that provides and then move on without yes. actually resolving that particular symptom. Yeah. We can use that to develop something else. Yeah. And, and a lot of the studies that um, I was involved in a few years ago shows that good entrepreneurs use that frame for dealing with things. They don't solve problems. They see the symptoms and they create a new solution from the reality of that situation, they're very good at saying, okay, here's the reality. This is where we can go from there. This is the opportunity that this allows. Which makes complete sense when you start to see that actually organisations are complex adaptive systems. Yes. That there is no kind of, oh, it is this one thing yes. that is the root of this. Yes. That, and actually, therefore, where is the most appropriate Thing to be focusing on in terms of your energy. Yes. Um, and and that I know. Again, I'm doing this bit. Of, we're doing this bit of looping around, but these things are, aren't they? They're mm. so kind of interconnected yes. because it loops back again to this this skill of being able to differentiate and then integrate. So kind of complexity being that that there's one common purpose, yes. but actually multiple interconnected and interdependent yes. parts. Yes. Um, so being able to your complex system being one that's kind of broadly differentiated, very widely differentiated, but also integrated. So being able to see those differences between those different problems or this problem here and now and recognize recognize those fine differences, being able to discriminate, I yes. guess, more carefully, yes. seeing relationships and connections, but, and then not needing to rush to resolving or settling them, yes. but being okay with that. Yes. In order to see what's in there, yes, because it's and so in a research frame we would call it multifactorial. Yeah. So all okay. complex problems have a okay. range yeah, multi- of factors. Okay. Yes. That, that so you take be. something like obesity. Yeah. Right. You know yeah. the, the, the the old kind of thinking was that obesity was just about calories. Yes. You know you're eating too much and that's it. Yeah. But actually we know now that that's not the case. Yeah. What we find is people who are obese 
are eating too much because they're obese, yeah. not become obese because they're eating too much. Yeah. It's the other way around. And what they've found is it's a series of hormones yeah. that things like insulin and various other yeah. hormones that actually, as I say, there's whole, a whole series of yeah. factors that contribute, including contextual factors, habitual factors, as well as hormonal factors, and some other uh, some other issues that actually contribute to obesity. Yeah. So, you know, and we, we, you just think about the 2008 crash. Mm. You know, there wasn't one context. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. one party that created yeah. that or anything else. It was multifactorial yeah. and a complex combination of those multifactors. Yeah. You just take that to any organization. You know, when I kind of hear, well, yeah, that's the cause, you kind yes. of look and go, really? Yes. <laughs> you know, where's the evidence for that being the yeah. cause? And, and, and are you actually looking at the problem or are you looking at the symptom here? And quite often they're looking at the symptom and they're doing this kind of simplification um, that really good research mm. and evidence-based research will start yeah. to pinpoint some of the factors, which uh, this is doing. You know, this, yes. this is showing some of the factors to do with paradoxical leadership. Yeah. You know, having to lead through paradoxes. And, and actually, the idea of management and leadership really is about managing and dealing with a range of day-to-day and strategic paradoxes yes. that I we've got to do. fundamentally with. one of the core challenges and demands of seen, particularly senior leadership mm. in organisations, and I would stress all leadership, I know it's um, it's one of the things sometimes when I'm working with leaders or running programs and we're talking about so at that senior executive level and you're talking about that shift, that ability to be able to deal with, to recognise and sit with paradox, be able yeah. to recognise the uncertainty actually is everything that that role is about. Yes. Um, and for some people, they hit a level in their career progression I think but they go and I've had I've had participants on programs actually say stop and kind of go actually I'm not sure this is for me I'm not sure I hadn't recognized actually how vital this is as a shift that I need to make and I need to think deeply and hard about whether it's a shift I want to make because nobody had talked to me before about the degree to which this what this was about. I was going to have to step into that kind of space, yeah. And I don't, I think leaders operating at a senior level, at executive level in organisations, they know that, I think they, you know, you can't mm. not recognise the mm. degree of uncertainty and, and mm. see there's some of those paradoxes. Um, but I'm not sure there's a lot about preparing people for mm. them as they move into those roles. I don't, or, I don't think very much it does. Or even an open conversation about yes. them existing in organisations. Yes. There's yes. still this illusion that, you know, we need to appear as if everything's mm. in control and there's a, yeah. we have a sense of a certain path forward. Or, yes, this whole idea we've got a strategy and our job is to yes. clarity and, yes. you know, I've got a vision. Yeah. Don't worry about it. the fact that it's yes. a bit messy because we've got it sorted. Yes, <laughs> that's that, you right. Know, Which yes. is why most strategies don't last very long. Yeah. Because the world's shifting and a technological change and everything and they kind of, it doesn't take very long for an organisational strategy to suddenly kind of run out of steam. Yeah. Because there's something just yeah. taking their feet from under yeah. them that's, uh, well, political, economic, or, or technological. Yeah. And that people aren't keeping their eye on that. Yeah. They're just which hooks, ahead. hooks back into this paper, mm. which is you know, sort of their opening bit, was that 
you know, actually, therefore, because that's the type of environment and context organizations yes. are operating in, creativity and innovation is vital. I'm curious about it. Again, it wasn't something that they looked at because when I first saw, you know, kind of saw the title that grabbed me, first of all, because it had the word paradox and leadership in the title, so that mm. instantly hooked me in. But, um, but then when I was reading some of the opening bit, I was curious about the degree to which actually paradoxical leader behavior might enhance creativity because it might strengthen over time people's ability to deal with paradox so by modeling that kind of way of leading and that kind of behavior would that increase creativity because it's building those that kind of skill that wasn't it wasn't what they looked at in particular and obviously they were looking at the thriving at work and psychological Mm. safety aspects as well and then there's another question is does that because the creativity side kind of Going back to the organizational ambidexterity thing, yeah. the creativity side kind of feeds into the future focus change oriented stuff. Mm. My question would also be about paradoxical leadership is does it strengthen and enhance the operational side of things? Does that help? Yes. Or does clarity help there? Yes. And do leaders therefore need to be able to flip between the two? Yes. And so that, and I, I think. From my point of view, what I'd like to do now is for, us, yeah. for us to go and do a bit more on this. One yeah. one side of this is the kind of psychology of paradox, how it impacts people, yeah. both their thinking and their emotions uh, and their actions, their behavior. Um, and then the other side of this is how paradoxical leadership impacts operations. Yes. As well as the kind of creative forward thinking. So we can do that. We can do a couple of special yeah. reports. Yeah. Really? Let's do that. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Mm, I like that. It's really interesting, yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit oxford-review.com. That's oxford-review.com. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you. 